Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, September 28th. We have a slightly different but oh-so-enjoyable show for all of you listeners today. Dare I say may just be my favorite podcast of 2022 as we are joined by a guest I refer to as a longtime Nadal scholar, casual tennis fan, but perhaps more importantly, my freshman year of college roommate. Ben Beltzer joins me for a fascinating conversation. And I know typically on this show, we talk about the daily results. And certainly, given the fact that there are five different tour-level events happening this week, as well as the countless Challenger ITF events going around the globe, that's something we will continue to do on this show later in the week. That said, a little bit of a remix for you. Again, wanted to change things up on today's episode as I wanted to have a conversation with Ben about what storylines have broken through to cast casual tennis fans, what things going on in the tennis world matter, not only to us hardcore nerds who follow all the action day in, day out, but big picture, what are the storylines we all should be monitoring? What are the storylines we should place the most importance on if we hope to grow the game beyond just the diehard fans and start inviting more casual tennis players, casual tennis viewers into our circle. I felt like Ben was the perfect guest to do that with. Has Ben a former... I don't want to say standout. I'd be lying if I said a former standout high school tennis player. And he knows I'd be lying if I said that. But if it's a binary system, did you play tennis? Did you not play tennis growing up? There is no doubt Ben Belzer played tennis growing up more than competent every time he steps out onto the court. And, you know, obviously you grow up playing the sport. You're going to watch some of it over time as well. And I think Ben would refer to himself as a longtime Rafael Nadal scholar. He also refers to himself as a casual fan at multiple points throughout the course of today's episode. But again, I wanted to pick the brain of that casual fan. I will also say Ben is one of the three funniest people I have met in my life as such. I always just enjoy chatting with him, but to chat about a topic that may have brought us together initially in our friendship early on to obviously be able to catch up with him and be able to pick his brain not only about some of the storylines, but to hear from him what it was like to be at the 2022 U.S. Open, what it was like to be in person for the rise of Carlos Alcaraz to you know see all the Americans having the success that they did in New York. How much did that matter to the vibes, dare I say? on the grounds at the 2022 U.S. Open. Again, I just wanted to pick Ben's brain on all sorts of topics related to the tennis world. Today's episode, again, arguably one of my favorites, if not my favorite, we've recorded in 2022 thus far as such. I am certain all of you listeners are going to enjoy today's show. That said, as I alluded to earlier, we'll get back to recapping all the action happening on tour this week on tomorrow's episode of the mini break. If you're looking for daily preview podcasts of all the action, our Great Shot podcast feed is the place for you. I've got picks each and every day via our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook. I also do my best to Look big picture at what matches you need to watch to feel like you're caught up on everything happening in the tennis world. Again, that content over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Recently, we've had top 100 players, Ben Shelton, Ellen Perez, Brandon Nakashima, who just won his first ATP title. We spoke with all of them over on our Cracked Interviews podcast. Again, you can find all of these episodes wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it may be. Of course, a shout out here on this show 
to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, who simply put, understand the necessity of providing a daily podcast to tennis fans everywhere. If you don't, how are you going to keep track of everything happening in the tennis world? We are immensely grateful for the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. We're also well aware of the support they offer to tennis players everywhere as they provide the best equipment at the lowest prices all in one location. You go to tennis-point.com today. You'll find everything you're looking for. Rackets, strings, clothing, shoes, all the brands, all the best styles, all the lowest prices, all in one location. Go to tennis-point.com and make sure you use your promo code CR15. Not only will it let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point. Symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, hopefully you listeners can hear the smile on my face as I prepare to say the following words, let's get to it. A fantastic conversation with my dear friend and the one and only Ben Belzer. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a guest who I will say has me nervous before the start of today's show. That's because it's not every day you get to the chance to speak with the spiritual leader of the 2022, uh, 2012, excuse me, Andover Boys High School tennis team. Of course, you may also know him as the only man to almost get kicked out of the Maccabi Junior Games for excessive cheering. I, of course, know him as my freshman year college roommate and dear friend, Ben Belzer. Ben, Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Gross. This has been a long time, man. We haven't talked in a minute. I'm I'm pumped to be on here. You know, I love me some tennis. I love chopping it up about tennis. I don't get to do it very often. Everyone likes to talk about football. So I'm pumped to be here. And I didn't like almost get kicked out. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I helped you win. You, you got to give me that. Do you remember the chant? Richmond, uh, you, Deitch, like I remember you and Deitch walking up so clearly and it's 105 degrees. We are getting into it. And in the background, I just start hearing Gruskin for gold, Gruskin for gold. And you guys just got louder and louder. And it was, again, I remember it to this day. It was over a decade ago. I mean, uh, you, dom- you. you dominated that competition. <laughs> Fun fact, one of the kids who ended up, who I beat in that tournament, ended up playing at like a prominent power five school. And he comes up to me when we were covering one of their matches. He goes, hey, do you remember beating me in Maccabi? And I was like, yeah, I do. Cause you were cocky as f-. And, I, and, like, <laughs> and I smacked you. And I was like, so yeah, oh of course God. I remember do you. And so uh, That's it was unbelievable. a good time. Yeah. And That's shout unreal. Out, <laughs> shout out to that. I should also say one of the three funniest people to this day I've ever met Ben Belzer on the show today. It's great to have you here. And just a quick background for our listeners, because in the intro, I sort of explained the segment that we were doing. But as I alluded to, I'm trapped in the tennis bubble, right? Everyone I'm interacting with is watching 24-7, 365. Talk to us. Tell the fans about your relationship with the sport. I mean, I tune into pretty much all the majors. That's that's for sure. I I don't watch a ton of the other smaller tournaments. You know, I think I get news updates when any of the Americans are making runs. But 
other than that, it's it's pretty casual. I wouldn't say that I'm like I got a pulse on what's going on. I mean, I know top 20, definitely know more about men's and women's, but um and not a lot about doubles. Like if you told me that the Bryan brothers won the mate, like the uh, U.S. Open, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's fair to say casual fan. Yeah, probably casual. About fan. as casual as it gets. If I say the term tennis Twitter to you, does that mean anything? Yeah, cracked rackets. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Set this Twitter. Yeah, I love to hear that. And obviously, I've always appreciated your support. I will say nothing was more embarrassing. I don't remember if it was you or if it was Plavin who sent it to me. And let me tell this story here on the show because I've alluded to it, but you will actually it will resonate with you. So Charlie Plavin, someone who we knew in college, was in our fraternity, um, was in our pledge class. Call, you know, I haven't talked to Plavin since maybe sophomore year, since we all moved out of the house. Like, if we're yeah, being yeah. honest, we smiled, we waved at tailgates, but I right, had right. a conversation. He calls me Sunday, 3.30 a.m., and in my head, <laughs> I'm like, he's in prison. He's I like, he's, yeah, he's about to part. die. <laughs> and like, I'm the first contact. I have to be. And then instead, he's like, no, um, I just wanted to know how I should bet the Wimbledon men's final. <laughs> I was like, that's your question for me at 3 a.m. And you called. Um, and that to see you guys watching the ace of the day, that content's not for you. I'm like, it's, it's important. What do you mean? I need, a, I need a hot tip coming in. Like, I'm trying to make some bread. I can't just, like, go to U.S. Open and, like, not bet on every single match that I'm going to watch. Yeah, it's fair. No, I was, it was, again, it brought me a lot of joy. So very grateful for the support. Glad to have you here. And we were talking about this before the show started, but you made a point that right off the bat was fascinating to me. You said you think tennis is in the midst of a bit of a resurgence this year. And you talk about it as a casual fan. We were talking about how your interest has picked up. Why do you feel that way? Let's just start there. I mean, I think the players is obviously a big thing. A lot of like young talent and kind of the, but there's young talent, but all the, all the old heads, you know, the big four, obviously with Roger retiring, big three now, but they're still kind of making splashes, you know, Andy Murray's kind of doing his whole scream at his foot because it won't heal and blah, blah, blah. Like everybody, there's this like, cool balance between all the young guys and then all the like senior players that are still playing. And that's kind of from like, from the actual sport perspective, but I feel like people are kind of getting into playing it. Even, even if they suck, they kind of just want to go out and hit the, hit a tennis ball because it's pretty easy to at least do a little bit of back and forth, especially between a couple of people that suck. Like you just kind of hit the ball back, blah, blah, blah. But even with people that are good, they're more, it, it's just cheaper to do from an outdoor activity perspective versus like going to play around a golf or going to go play really any other sport where you require like a ton of more people. So I think just ex- it's, it's almost like becoming like an exercise outlet for people that don't really want to go to the gym or don't really want to go on runs. And I mean, I mean, I've been telling people that tennis is fun as hell for a while. So like, <laughs> this isn't news to me, but you know, when people that suck are trying to play with me, I'm like, come on, I don't, I ain't got, I ain't got time for that. Oh, amen. <laughs> I had a guy in my old job who just constantly pestered me and was like, dude, I play all the time with my friends. Like, I think I can beat you. And I was like, you can't, I'm, I'm telling you. you. Like, I was like, you played with your friends. I played tennis. That's what I like. 
I try and figure this out with people and I ask them like, okay, well, like how, what do you mean you play? Like, (laughs) did you play last week? Like with somebody, did you play in high school? This one girl that I knew was like, oh, I played all the time in high school. Like my, my grandpa told me that I could have been a pro and I'm like, okay, so you're probably like really good and you're probably going to destroy me. (laughs) I get on the course. She's like cross handed, like. (laughs) overhead forehanding it swiping it like she's like sir lancelot on the court and i'm just like listen your grandpa must have been either blind or like the nicest dude of all time because you suck <laughs> i can't play with you anymore oh, it, was, it was coldy dre and he was like i gotta repent for some sins so i'm gonna exactly. tell you exactly like I, I, i'm like this is like some my wish program that i'm doing with this girl like i can't be i can't be playing with someone that's going to waste my time. But I also feel like the pandemic was a big for tennis. Like, oh, because for sure. There's nothing else you could do. Do you find yourself hitting a bunch? I mean, it's tough because I always wanted to hit with somebody and, you know, not that many, there aren't that many people to hit, hit yeah. with. So during the pandemic, I picked up golf more so than tennis. Mm-hmm. But even but you're 100 percent right. Like. Mm-hmm. If people are really abiding by the whole social distancing thing, like tennis is pretty much like the only sport that is legitimately socially distant because even in golf, sharing a golf cart with somebody, um, soccer, you're going to end up pressing up on somebody at some point. So tennis was really the only thing. And I, I think that now that you mention it, that probably would make the most sense as to why everybody is really into tennis nowadays. There was like the USTA put out a number in 2021. This is what I do, by the way, with my time. Some people read relevant studies. I read studies from the USTA. Just a little oh, yeah, life. for sure. Yeah. Well, by the way, not going to be a shock. I'm single. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, just a little life update for you, my yeah, friend. Yeah, whatever, man. Yeah, nothing's changed. Um, yeah, same old. It was like up 820%. Over the course of from 2020 to 2021, participation of people playing, yeah, because it was like we are from 19 to 20 because it was like we got nothing else to do in the pandemic time. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm happy about it because I feel like tennis was like really in a tailspin because people, I don't know why, even maybe. I don't know. We can, we'll get into it later, but I don't know. I really don't know why people just like stopped caring. Maybe because like Djokovic was just winning every single major and like. (laughs) Nobody else was even like putting up a fight. I don't know. No, I, I think that is part of it. And you're absolutely right. That gets into today's t- podcast topic. And as I alluded to in the intro, I wanted to talk to Ben because I wanted to ask Ben as a casual fan, what storylines matter? I find myself trapped in the tennis bubble. So to me, you know, Emil Rusevori, I think he's got a really good shot to do some damage in Seoul, South Korea this week. I wish all of you listeners could see the smile on Ben's face because he's like, you promised no Rusevori talk, Alex, (laughs) on today's show. And so, again, I know that storyline may not penetrate the mainstream sporting fan the way some of the tennis storylines have. That said, I do think some of these tennis storylines have broken through. And so with that in mind, let's start with this topic. You talk about the talent we now see emerging in the men's game. And, you know, we started this podcast in 2017. We have long covered the players I call the next-gen guys. You know, the Alex Virev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Daniil Medvedevs of the world, who I just feel like, and again, this is where I want your perspective, did none of them click 
with like again, do any of those guys appeal to you? You could throw Berrettini or like Rublev in that mix. I know they're good, but I just feel like if we were to ask another one of our, you know, let's say we asked Matt Davis, do you know who, you know, Andre Rublev is? He might be like, eh, not really, no. I I do. It's funny because I like Rublev a lot of all the of all the like up and coming, well, up and coming, you know, all the Russian yeah. players. I like Rublev the most. Um, I don't know why. Just like maybe just because like I'm Russian and he's like maybe the most Russian human being I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. And I love every second of it. Yeah, I don't um, know. You look a lot like Karen Hatchinov. I see. <laughs> I saw him have argued. I saw him play at the U.S. Open. Yeah. He was uh, he's, he's good anyway. Um. I guess some of the young guys that I I like at least this was I, I will say the U.S. Open was the not just like the coming out party for Alcaraz in general, but even for me as a casual fan, like I finally got to see what he's about and how he plays. And I mean, I he was so entertaining to watch, like so entertaining because he's not just that classic like ground stroke you to death type of player I like for me the most impressive thing about him was his neck game and that's maybe the most differentiator between him and almost any other really good player you know in the top 10 especially is this guy is like a magician up at the net and it's really entertaining to watch you don't really see guys like that anymore that are singles players and are like dirty up at the net um with other young guys, I mean, Medvedev is fun just because I feel like he's just like the perpetual villain for everybody, even <laughs> though it's like so undeserved, but he just plays that role and he loves it. And especially at the U.S. Open, it's like it's a fascinating little narrative Dynamic. that he's going yeah, sure. into. Yeah, it's, it's so I like him. I <laughs> I've been telling my friends for a while now. I think Tsitsipas is like the biggest broke boy of all time. Like I, I told, I told them after Djokovic came back and beat him at the French, what was it? Two years ago. And he just like cried so badly, like was bawling his eyes out. I texted my friends, like he will never make it to another major final. Like he is broken as like a, a tennis player. And I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, but I don't think so. Like he, she showed it at the U.S. Open, losing you know in the first round. Yeah. So some of these young guys, I think they're starting to. Re- I think they're starting to be you know really fascinating characters. I think once they start to kind of come out of their shell, I think a lot of them are kind of still trying to figure out whether this tennis thing, you know, they're going to be one of the greats in it. You know, Casper Ruud making it to two major finals in the same year is a massive step. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess those are kind of the big guys that I'm that I really like following, and I kind of am interested in at least from whenever I see watch the majors. It is interesting to hear you bring up Kasparut because I think if you would have asked, I call us us. I'm very humble nowadays. The tennis intelligentsia, where it's just like the people who are in the media and following it. You know, again, gotta show off that education. Um, oh, man. Yes. <laughs> um, the point is. I think if you would have asked all of us, straw poll, higher upside, Tsitsipas Rude, 100% would have said Tsitsipas before the start of this season. I'll ask you now, Tsitsipas Rude, who are you more interested to watch moving forward? It sounds like it's pretty unequivocally Rude. 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. I'm definitely more interested in watching Rude, but I'm also super interested in watching how Sissy Post loses because, yeah. like, that's because I know what's going to happen. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like I know it. It's just a matter of when. And watching it like break down epically is also super fun to watch. I also think the one-handed backhand is just out. Like it just is out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I feel like Warenko was really like the last one that kind of made it cool. I mean, yeah. Federer obviously was like the cleanest backhand of all time. But like, yeah, I mean, you might be right. I don't really know a lot of other people. I don't know if there are there any other Would have been really guys? funny if you had been like, what about Rusevori's one-hander? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, um, and you look in the top 10. I mean, Berrettini essentially plays a one-hander with how much he plays the slice. Right. Dominic Team was a one-hander, but he's like broken right now, so it's it's tough to say that that's a common. I'm excited for I, like I'm excited for him to come back because I thought he was I thought he was really uh, he was a cool player. I kind of liked his mo. It sucked too because this was the window. Like imagine he's fully healthy. He's already made two Grand Slam finals at the French Open. Obviously won the U.S. Open, but with the clay courts being where he had so much success, you know, 2021, you had a banged up Nadal. This year obviously would have been tough, but if he's at his best, the window was wide open for him. And it's just like, it is crazy how quickly it seemed to have shut. I'm curious if he's going to be like take the route of like a Del Potro where he wins that major. And then it's just like crippling injuries that, and I mean, Del Potro was Del Potro was probably my favorite tennis player of all time. I don't know why I just loved him. I always tell people I liked him because he played, he played tennis. Like people play ping pong where he just like smacked the ball always. Uh, No, his forehand. I mean, it's just like, it's the momentum. There's just like a visceral. You can see him leaning forward, this giant, like, being, and you're just like, yep, that's exactly how hard it should go. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think he might actually have the highest approval rating of any men's player because Djokovic and Federer fans and Nadal fans will all dislike one another and their players right. respectively, but no one dislikes Juan, Juan Martin Del Potro. It's just, like, yeah. I mean, he's just, cause he, he was like the most humble. He was like a humble giant. I know. He's <laughs> just like, you're just like, he's so inviting. You're just yeah. like, you, yeah, you would, you would hug anyone. I would, I would happily hug Juan Martin <laughs> Del Potro. I'm like crying his arms. Be like, dude, why are you so sad? I'm like, I don't know. I'd give just, him my wrist. I'd be like, yeah. it? Yeah, I'm not using it. I mean, he needs more than a wrist now. He's yeah. got like knee issues. And Let me ask you this. If you could have Alcaraz's forehand, but you lose the last six months for the rest of your life, but you lose the last six months of that life, are you taking it? The last six months of like my current life. Yeah, like you're gonna live instead of eighty seven, you're going eighty six and a half, but you get Alcaraz's forehand the rest of the way. I mean, my forehand's pretty good. I'm not <laughs> <lie>. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just playing on uh no, nah, I mean six months. Well that's nothing. Like yeah, what's the, the, the quality of life after like eighty, like is not great to begin with. So and it's like I get it's like I get X more like six. I will play more than six more months of tennis in oh, my 100%, life. Exactly. Yeah, so like to have that forehand, like seventy-two years old on the run, forehand winner. You're just like nice. Yeah, just dice up everybody in the <laughs> over seventy <laughs> tennis league that you're in. Yeah, we could both fit in if we took off our hats too. So I we mean, could do it now. <laughs> I'm I might be registered already. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you couldn't find hitting partners during COVID. Um, no. So you talk about that Alcaraz match. You were there. What was it like? Because I've seen him in person as well. I have my thoughts, but I, to me, it's just like 
it's the athleticism. It's just it's never been more tangible that this guy is just a freak because it's like his effort, the speed, the fact that he's diving on balls where it's like, yeah, but you know you're up 5-2 in the set. Like you don't right. need to do that. It's just everything you want out of an athlete. I think the the craziest thing about his run was the like 6 a.m. Yeah. finishes of <laughs> I think, I mean, it was probably, what was it? It was last like four matches. Yeah, I mean, it was Chilich, Sinner, Tiafo, just over and over and over again. And it wasn't, so like, he's not playing, it's, this isn't week one opponents that he's finishing, you know, no offense to the week one guys, but it's not week one guys that he's finishing at, you know, 3 a.m. and is going to recover and play the second round. I mean, it goes from round of 16, quarterfinal, semifinal, final, where he's playing four straight five setters, and not one of them was easy, you know, not a single one of them was like a cakewalk. You could like the fact that he was able to recover all three of those times is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It's, and it, it's Djokovic-esque is what it reminds me of. And 100%. Again, it's like 20, 2011 Djokovic where he ripped off the, you know, 38, 39, however, consecutive wins, 42 to start. And then the finger wag from Federer when Federer beats him in the semis, which to me is like the all-time moment. That's the greatest celebration in tennis history. That was the most just yeah. like dis- – that's like one of those you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so – I mean, but, that's clean. Yeah, but Djokovic then in 2012 beats Murray in five sets in a ridiculous semifinal. And then he plays that 9-7 match against Nadal, like the you know five-hour one in the final yeah, yeah, in Australia. Yeah. And it's like, that to me was the last time I saw someone do something physically where I was like, you, it's just like, humans can't do that. I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, we've moved on from Homo sapien to Homo Djokovic or just right. like whatever it is. And now we're at the Homo Alcaraz where it's just yeah. like, this guy's a freak. Uh, he is. I mean, he's, he's nasty. He's... He doesn't seem phased ever. I mean, I think he, I mean I I heard it. I think he lost to Felix in the tournament afterwards. In but, Cup, yeah. But regardless, like the kid is he's everything that you kind of want in a nineteen year old where you just you recover, you know, like that and it's just another it's another match, another massive So match. To, to that point, talking to people you know again your friends are they yeah, talking yeah. about Alcaraz are they asking you because I'm sure you're the tennis friend in a lot of your circles where it's like <laughs> hey Ben tell me about this Alcaraz kid because I see him I mean there's some people that like definitely care about tennis significantly more than I do and I told them that I was coming on cracked rackets they're like dude fuck you like you <laughs> no you don't even know tennis I'm just like all right whatever man like I played <laughs> um but no, I think now, especially, you know, I mean, one of my buddies was telling me about Alcaraz for the last six months and, you know, me and everybody else would kind of just like be like, all right, dude, whatever. I mean, my, my biggest thing is I really don't care about tennis players that are supposed to be good until you win a major. Like okay. to me, that's, that's when you go onto my radar, my personal radar, because Look, I get it, you know, the Cincinnati Open and the Miami Open and the Seychelles Open are, you know, (laughs) fun and cool and whatever. But there's a difference between winning a three-set match when nobody's watching and winning a five-set match when everybody is watching, you know. So 
I don't consider players to be on my radar until they win a major. So for Alcaraz to kind of go out and do that, I mean, even Casper, like Casper Ruud, I'll give him a, I'll give him a pass just because, you know, he went to two finals, you know, in the same year. So that's got to count for something. But now people, I think people are going to talk about Alcaraz a lot more now, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, you think he becomes actually, like, do you think he's got Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Serena upside in terms of prominence in just the broader athletic ecosystem? Upside for sure. I I think the next 12 months are going to be critical for him because he you have to you have to replicate that major win in order for people to kind of be like all right this guy's legit you know even Medvedev he he wins the US Open and he goes to the major final but he doesn't win a single major in 2022 mm-hmm. so you know, he's still good. Don't get me wrong, but that momentum that he had after winning a major like the U S open with the biggest media market, the most eyeballs, you know, obviously Wimbledon is kind of the granddaddy of them all. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to like gain momentum and, you know, become popular across the world, winning the U S open is probably as, as big as it gets in order for you to do that. So next 12 months, I mean, I would say, for Alcaraz to kind of be on that trajectory of the Federer's and Dahl's Djokovic's minimum of one major this year and preferably Wimbledon, because then it's like, all right, this guy is legit. And, but hopefully two. My, my bet advice, you talk about getting the bread, bet him to win the French open because he has, this is where I'll stat out to you. There's a list of like seven names when you get to who's the youngest player to do all these different things. And in the modern era, those seven names, Djokovic, Nadal, Zverev, Felix Ogier-Aliassim, Juan Martin Del Potro, Richard Gasquet is the interesting one because he was like the best 12-year-old ever and like their magazine <laughs> covers of him. You can go look him up. Um, and then the new guy is Alcaraz. Alcaraz is just on all of those lists now. Youngest, you know, winner of the U.S. Open, I think, since Pete Sampras. Youngest yeah, yeah, ever, yeah. world number one, obviously. And how he got to this point is because when he was 17, 18, you know, challenger level tennis, which is, you know, minor league equivalent is, the I suppose, the colloquial way of saying it. He was just killing everyone on the clay, just absolutely annihilating them. And just can you imagine having to like deal with his forehand on a clay court, trying to track that ball down once? I would die. I mean, I wouldn't. It would. It would be a quick match. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have a philosophy though that until Nadal is retired, I don't bet against anybody on clay. I had a rule that he has to lose twice in a row for me to not pick him to win the French Open. I agree, but like. He played – I mean, he has one foot. I mean, you're, you are the Nadal whisperer. You tell me. He literally has one foot. I mean, he – listen, by the, by the U.S. Open, it, it's just – that's kind of like what's crazy about tennis is you just like see guys, especially the older guys, just start to deteriorate later into the season. And I don't I – mean, even young guys, this will happen to where – they've just played so much tennis and even, I mean, Nadal doesn't even play every single tournament anymore, but they just get so gassed from making it far into all of these tournaments. And a guy like Nadal, who's, you know, 37, 38 years old, making it into the second round of every major playing in these five setters just starts to like wane on him by the U S open. And, you know, I mean, he still won two majors this year. So the guy, I mean, the guy's ageless and, you know, I, I, so happy that he continues to 
to shine while Djokovic is uh, not allowed in like 90% of countries all of a sudden. <laughs> we did a, a segment on our very first podcast. We called it the changeover chat. And we talked about the big four and like did all the different comparisons. Who would do best on the ACT? Who would win the 40-yard dash? Who would you know be named the prom king? I'll tell you this. Five years ago, Nadal would have been the prom king. I think it's Djokovic now. Like, I hate to say it, but, like, you can't show up to prom with a headband on. I mean, the guy's so suave, though. I know he is. So suave. (laughs) It's a good argument. But I don't think Djokovic has ever had a hair out of place on his. Like, he could be five-all, fifth set, and it's just like everything is perfectly in place. Yeah, well, that's just the style, you know, yeah. like as somebody that doesn't have hair, I pay attention to all of this stuff where it's just like, well, that's just the haircut. That's not that's, that's not because he's special. It's just because the way he's designed it. You know, oh, that's a good eye. That's I appreciate that. So my question is, do you think Alcaraz has that sort of swagger yet? Like a Nadal, like it, like a Djokovic? Not yet. I mean, it's yeah. it's so hard to have that kind of swagger at 19. I mean, better yeah. and even I mean, even Federer, he was just kind of like, he was, I wouldn't even call him, his swagger was so different. It was just, yeah. this man is just like the consummate professional type of swagger where he you're was just perfect. Like, it was just, yeah, like, exactly. Perfection. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like he, he wasn't volatile. He wasn't, you know, hostile, just like even Keelan was just like, damn, that guy's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, that's, that's all you could say. And then the doll, I mean, he had that long, you know, the long hair, the, you know, yeah. cut off, just yeah. muscles, you know, yeah. like yeah. gun show all the time. It's just like, all right, this guy, this guy's kind of looks, I, I can get behind him. Yeah, I like it. No, I mean, the thing about Alcaraz is right now, if I were to describe him, it's joy. That's the word. It's just like, this is epitomizing what joy is like on the tennis court when you just love what you're doing. Which is how it should be for a 19-year-old that's going on a tear like he yeah, had this year. That has now won a $5 million check. Yeah, yeah so, I yeah. mean, I'd be pretty pumped regardless <laughs> of age at that point. But yeah, no, that's that's kind of why I say like next 12 months are so critical because yeah. what do you do now that you've hit that mountaintop of winning a major? Is, mm-hmm. is it the mountaintop for you or are you going for, you know, all four? Are you going for, what is Nadal at, 22? Yeah, Are you yeah. going for that Look number? Look at you, casual fan. Get out of You got 20. I mean, when it comes to Nadal, I know everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's all a good point. And, you know, again, I, I agree. Well, we, you know the segment I texted you about this. We don't do greatest of all time. We do not eliminate it from the greatest of all time discussion. Carlos Alcaraz, eliminated or no? Definitely not. He's just yeah. getting started. That's what I like to hear. Let me... In that same thing, Yannick Sinner, are you on that bandwagon? Because he's another young name that, to me, if you're going to ask who's the most Federer-like of all the young players from a personality standpoint, it is Sinner, who's very calm, collected on court. Now, over the past year, I think he's shown more emotion. I also think for us tennis players to watch how hard he hits the ball, shot in, shot out, you're just like, this is a joke. Where are you with him? I – what – like what you just said, I like I like how he hits and I like watching him just like go 110 miles an hour on every single shot. The question is, can you put it together for an entire match for two weeks straight mm-hmm. and win it all? Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, obviously, the guys that he's playing against are, aren't chopped liver, but 
you got to be able to put it together and, you know, win it all. So I'm not out on him. He's clearly shown signs of being able to make it and make runs in tournaments. But once you get to that quarterfinal match, do you have that dog in you where you where you take care of business, where you grind out a five setter, where you're playing against another top 10 opponent, you know, or are you going to fold? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Or are you going to fold? So it's it's tough to say, but I think I mean, he definitely has the skill set for it. It's just a matter of does he have the what what it takes between the ears. This is where you might swear at me. Trivia question for you. Two men made the fourth round or better at every major this season. Can you name them? My first guess is Casper. Not Casper. He first round Wimbledon. He, he flunked or second early Wimbledon. He flamed out. Okay. And, and he, uh, I think he had COVID during the Australian Open. But that's geez, what round did you say? Fourth round? Fourth round. So second week at every major. Okay. Nadal. Correct. That's one. Second week. And I'm going to guess based on the question that Sinner was the other that one. That Sinner is the <laughs> other one. That's why. And it's intuitive Ben. That's what they call him. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly right. It was Yannick Sinner's the second one. He also – here's my take, and I just want to float it by you as well because I've been, I've been baking this one. It was, it's still a little underdone, but it's in the oven. Why I am continue to be so high on Sinner, and this isn't a new thing to any of our listeners, but why I continue to be so high on him is that I think there's a – world because, again, he had match point in the fourth set against Carlos Alcaraz. Like on his serve, 40-30, he has match point. I think there's a world where everything Alcaraz just did – if Sinner wins that match, I think he goes on to do the same thing. And that's why, to me, it's like he had the match point. And to what you were talking about, Alcaraz, how he responds to this next 12 months, I am fascinated to see. But I think El- uh, Sinner is a guy who has the upside. You know, we've seen him beat Alcaraz at Wimbledon. We saw him beat Alcaraz on clay as well. I think that's the best rivalry in men's tennis right now. Outside, like, excluding Djokovic, Nadal, any of those guys, I think Sinner Alcarez is the match I most want to see. I mean, but that, it just goes back to my point. Like, you have match point on your serve. Like, what are you doing not winning that match? I get it. I get it. You're playing against, you know, the future winner of the U.S. Open. But if you're that guy and you are trying to be one of the greats, you got to, I mean, obviously Federer has done this before and lost on his serve, but again, like you got to be able to finish that match out. Yeah. Very good point. And that's again, why Australia for me, for Sinner, like I'm so fascinated to see how he responds because he's got a really good team around him, Darren Cahill. And just, again, he's a Nike guy. Those Nike guys always seem to, you know, you got that Nike resources. Things are going well. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm team Sinner. I think he's on that list in terms of Again, these young player ideas. I do want to throw one women's name or two women's names at you. Let's start with Iga Swiatek, who wins 37 consecutive matches this year, which is the longest streak of the 21st century. She wins two major titles this year. She's got three by age 21. She's the third youngest player. Uh, excuse me, eighth youngest player to three major titles in women's tennis history. Does and again, I'm prefacing for the listeners casual fan here for Ben. Do not hold any, you know, if he doesn't know the fact that she's the first player in WTA Tour history to break her opponent's serve more than 50% of the time for an entire season, Ben's not going to have that on the top of his head. Dude, uh, that but, was my only stat that I had. <laughs> like, how do you blow up my spot like that? <laughs> you saw that tennis abstract leaderboard. Yeah. Uh, uh, where are you with Iga? Is she a superstar? 
I mean, she's on fire right yeah. now. She is just absolutely on fire. And like you said, I mean, her her mat her major was it is it in majors or is it in just matches in general? Majors, right? Uh, no, thirty seven matches in general. Matches. I mean, that's just like that's just just crazy streak to it's go. Two and on. a half months. Two and especially, a half months. Especially in women's tennis, where things are like, I mean, you can have a bad day and you're you're out and straight sets and that doesn't happen you know super frequently for the top four in men's and women's it happens periodically but like going on that type of a streak is is insane and she's every bit as legit as the numbers say she is she's she's a wicked wicked good i mean there's not not much else i could say about her what were you when you were at two doubles for the mighty andover high school Boys doubles, uh, boys single, uh, boys tennis team. There we go. Did you guys break serve over fifty percent of the time? You know, I when I was the uh, when I was on my forehand side, we broke serve a decent amount because <laughs> I had a pretty. I couldn't serve for for dog poo, but my <laughs> but my return was nasty. That's what I'm saying. You guys might have held serve only fifty percent of the time, but I think that yeah. break percentage got up there. Yeah, breaking. I, I like I like breaking serve. There's that's because once you break serve, you break their spirit. You know, hundred percent. And that's why the fact that she breaks serve over fifty percent of the time, it's just like at the that's pro crazy. level. That's the crazy. Pro, it's a, it's nuts. Like the average for a top fifty player on the WTA tour, thirty five point eight percent. She's better than 15% better than an average top 50 player. And I mean, that's how you go on that type of a run where yeah. you're winning that many matches. And I mean, I, you, you could tell me, I feel like a lot of them weren't three setters either. No, like no, she was, yeah. she was kind of just taking care of business in two sets, not, and nobody was really putting up, nobody was really putting up a fight. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, do, what do you think about her forehand? You're a forehand connoisseur. She's got that extreme grip. I mean, if it works for her, it works for her, I guess. But like, <laughs> I, well, that's what I'm saying from a visual perspective, her game. Do you like enjoy the way she breaks down opponents? Cause I kind of, uh, I kind of love it. Oh, a hundred percent. I I don't, I mean, I like, I definitely like players that kind of whip the ball like a Sakari or, you know, even a, several years back. I think, what was her name? I think her name was like Svitolina. Oh, Spitalina's good. Mertens. I like Mertens a Elisa lot. Elisa like, Mertens name drop. I see you, Ben. I liked her a lot, not because yeah. she was attractive, but because she was good at tennis. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but I like, so I like players that kind of like whip it like that. But for me, I guess in, in women's tennis, I think it's way more about that consistency where you go from corner to corner nonstop. You're just the, the your opponent's just going to be screwed. Like mm-hmm. they they're not going to get a single edge on you where or they're going to make mistakes. It's just one it's one of those two situations is going to happen. It's also her movement. Like she slides around the court and slides into that backhand corner. It's just gorgeous. You're just yeah. like I can't do that. Like it's just, you're just like <laughs> yeah. You're just like that's an elite athlete right yeah, there. Yeah, bro. That's and, why you're in a hotel room and yeah. she's practicing. That's <laughs> why my knees are just swollen always. Um, but no, I agree with you there. I do think Iga is a superstar. By the way, just a name to throw on your radar as a fellow Russian, Ludmila Samsonova, 23 years old, might hit the biggest ball 
in the women's game. Her forehand is laughably huge. She's won 18 of her last 19 matches. She's won 36 of her last 40 sets. Just throwing her, on, throwing her on your radar, Benny. Keep Great. an eye out. Uh, she's, she's on. Yeah, she's a bad. She, I've been making some side cash, we'll say, perhaps on her over the past. A lot of, lot of features in our Ace of the Day segment. Um, All right, love and, that. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, just throwing a name on your radar uh, for the rest of this year and next season. Other name I wanted to throw at you from a superstar standpoint, and this can help us transition into American tennis. Where are you with Coco Golf? Because certainly it's crazy to say this out loud. First of all, you know, Coco Golf is not only, she's three years younger than Nicholas Gruskin. Just some perspective. Yeah, for you there. I mean, devastating. She's like a decade younger than us. She's still, she, so at the start of 2030, I think the status she's like 26. Which is just like, yeah, it just so makes bad. me, yeah, it just makes me cry. <laughs> so um, bad. But where obviously she made the French Open final this year. Um, you know, she's been a factor. She since she walked onto the tour at age fourteen. Everyone who know has known who Coco Goff is, and as such, there have been perhaps outsized expectations for what she uh, could accomplish immediately. That said, the list of 18-year-olds who have made Grand Slam singles finals is not particularly long, particularly after 2000 when the game becomes what we see today. Goth's superstar potential for casual fans. Where are you with it? She has all the makings of a superstar, all the makings of it. She's just, again, like you said, she's what 17 now 18 years old 18 years old like she's still going she like her body is still developing like you could see that she's significantly stronger than she was when she got on tour at 15 years old and even then she made a run to the you know fourth round of the uh, the u.s open so like she for sure has all the makings of it it's just a matter of time you know as she works with trainers, works with coaches, gets stronger, works on her game. You see her game becoming significantly better like year after year. So she has all the makes of being a superstar, especially the fact that she's an American. Everybody loves that story. And I mean, you saw what it was like on ESPN when she was making her first run. It was just, I mean, it was unbelievable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, it was. uh, So when you're scrolling through scores, Round, you know, it's day three of the U.S. Open. Are you looking for golf specifically? Yeah, hundred percent. I'm. I mean, I'm looking from the American side. I like. I I like Coco Golf a lot. I like Amanda Nisimova a lot. She um, hits the out of the ball. Like I like her a lot. Her backhand is laughable. You're just I like, like her a lot. <laughs> yeah, just ridiculous. You know what's interesting is a lot of uh, a lot of women's players american specifically are all russian um like displaced yeah individuals which i like didn't really realize in a lot like sofia kennan i think is also russian mm-hmm. anisa mova and there's one more that bernarda para is another one who's who's not russian i think she's serbian but okay sim- similar yeah, it's it's interesting that a lot of them are kind of like playing for the United States now, but or playing for the United States, whatever, playing yeah. under our uh, banner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, Coco Golf is for sure. Uh, of all the women's tennis players that are you know kind of big right now, I would say she would be the one that I would care to see the score of the most. I mean, even the last few years over Serena, like I don't really, you know, I knew Serena was kind of on the, you know. Decline. downfall decline whatever you want to call it um but coco golf has all the makings of being the next big star in tennis mm-hmm. i do think again from a commercial standpoint she's also the most like charismatic like funny uh kind outgoing human you can find and 
She's got a nice uh, New Balance, uh, New Balance deal, which I love. The and, New Balance and swag, and she gets after it from like mixing things around as yeah. well. Can I ask you this? A tangent, random swag note. Who's who's winning right now? You're going to that. You need a new pair of shorts. You need a new shirt. You're looking for rackets, whatever it may be. Who is winning in Ben Belzer's mind? Well, ra- okay, rackets is different because rackets it really is just like you need to you need to use it. Like yeah. I'm always I've always been a Babalock, or I've been a Babalock guy for a while, so I do like to Babalock. Um, swagger wise, dude, tennis tennis swagger slowly coming becoming like a pretty a pretty pretty dope pretty yeah. dope tennis gear to have so i mean i like wilson stuff i'm not the biggest fan of fila honestly like i, I think it's like a kind of a european brand but like i i don't i don't love fila i just feel like you have to be 55 or older to like exactly have like, it's like what are we golfing like yeah, no, yeah. like fila is just like i don't know that the, the, the logo is a little weird yeah. like whatever i get it it's cool yeah, if something. they want to become sponsors, I think it's wonderful, but they're not. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, new, I love New I think New Balance is having like the biggest come up when terms of moment. swagger. Yeah. Uh, okay. For like the last like five years, I would say, is they're really starting to kind of like blow up. Like, I want to go get a new pair of New Balances. Yeah. What about, do you, have you heard about the ASICs? I have. The thing with ASICs is I feel like they're more of like a running shoe yeah. or like a running brand as opposed to like a tennis brand so their shoes aren't cool per se they're more like functional a hundred percent that's it and it's like again i'm not 55 yet i I can still afford to have my foot be a little bit uncomfortable you don't need sketchers is what yeah. you're saying <laughs> Yeah, I dabble in Reebok, but no Skechers quite yet. Um, are you Nike guy still on the feet? Yeah, I mean Nike. I, when, if I'm going, if I'm like working out though or running, I mean my tennis shoes are I have Wilson or sorry, not Wilson. I have K Swiss tennis shoes. Okay. Because I'm a because I'm a bougie. Well, I was gonna say, um, would you buy them? Oh nine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're they, no. These ones are swaggy. They got like I got a little pizzazz on them. Um. <laughs> And then my running shoes, I mean, my running shoes are new balances just because from a functionality standpoint, they're just as good as Asics. And uh, I think they look cooler personally. To quote Jack Harlow, if I got a check from a shoe company, I would do anything that New Balance say. So exactly. Just, yeah, just, just to be clear. Pretty um, much any shoe company, maybe yeah. except Skechers. I, yeah. I would, I'd probably respect. You would be popping that. wheelies down the Wayne State Halls and doing whatever you need to do. <laughs> Skechers offered you that paycheck. Come on. Yeah, like, probably. Exactly. Get the light up ones, a little glow up action at that gap on 14 and Orchard Lake. It's just I it's mean, perfect. You know, you know I'm a regular there. Yeah. <laughs> that gap, Old Navy. Excuse me. I yeah, Old, old Navy. Old Navy. Navy. Yeah, by the McDonald. You know what I'm talking about. Um. All right. With that said, American women in the books, American men, because we're having a moment, Ben. And again, I apologize. I'm going to give you the stat. Nine Americans in the top 50. 18% of the ATP top 50 singles rankings are American men. That hasn't happened since the 90s. And everyone calls the 90s the golden era with Sampras, Agassi, Courier, Chang, and you know, all, all the way through to the Chris Woodruffs of the world who were winning singles titles. And just, again, you can go on and on and on on the list. We have that right now. And eight of those nine names, and just to list them for you, uh, Fritz, Paul, Opelka, Tiafo, Cressy, Nakashima, Korda, Brooksby, they're all born 1997 or later. So, you know, they turned 25 at the oldest this year. It's a young crew. 
the rankings indicate success. I ask you, Ben, American sports fan, can American tennis become or can tennis become cool in America again with this group? I think it definitely could. It's just a matter of will it. And that's kind of been the issue with American tennis for, you know, two decades now since kind of Roddick retired is these guys come up and everybody's buys in like, is this the next guy who's going to break through? And then it always ends up in disappointment. And, you know, Tiafo made a huge run this year and I, of, of all the guys that you kind of listed, I think Tiafo is probably the most, I'm the most uh, hopeful that he becomes the greatest, I guess, if that makes any sense. I'm not going to say that he's necessarily the best out of all of them. I, I want him to be the one that pops if I had to pick out of all of them, just because he's, I mean, he's just like, he's got so much swagger and like I, I watched, I so I was at the Nadal Tiafo match at the U S open and the man just like he he loves the crowd and he just plays to it and just feeds off that energy and it's just it was so electric to watch him. So can they? Yes, I I want Tiafo to kind of break through. There are some other guys that you mentioned that definitely have the potential. Obviously, Fritz is, if I'm not mistaken, probably the highest ranked out of all Indian, of them right now. Indian Wells champion this year, of course, as well. So he's he's clearly on the come up. And sneaky, I think a lot of people are kind of like Corda just because he's got that like family connection with his sister being a uh, thank you on so the LPGA. Like the Bushes, the Clintons, the Kennedys. We love dynasties in America. The Cordas are a dynasty. You have yeah. the sisters in golf. The dad was a pro athlete. I think the mom was as well. Hundred percent. His jawline, like. Perfect blonde hair. Like, I agree. I think so. Not to interject, I think there are three names who could propel tennis to relevant popularity. And I think the Netflix series that's coming out in the next year is going to be helpful. And then, by the way, I'm penciling you in as my co host to help break down every episode. Cause I, I didn't even know that there was a Netflix doc coming yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. So, no, no, they're doing, you know, the F1 show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're doing that for tennis. That's sweet. <laughs> yeah, so well, I'm going to need your observation because you're one of the great observers of our generation. I, you know, I would people don't know that about you. And so, yeah, I watch everything with a, with a magnifying glass. <laughs> a keen eye for the details. Yeah. Um, and so I may need your help there. But three names I would point to. Corda, for all the reasons you mentioned. Tiafo for all the reasons you mentioned. And by the way, that Nadal, you know, it was a fourth round or quarterfinal match. No, fourth round match, I think, between the two of them. Um, that day, because we were texting with one another, I went on our mini break podcast and reported your description of the muscularity of Francis Tiafo. Or I mean, just, the guy's back, the, his back is just like, I look like it was sculpted. Yeah, it's he's a freak. Like, again, it is one of those generational athletes and yeah. he's playing tennis and we're fortunate for it. He's also, again, the biggest butt you'll ever see on a tennis player, right? <laughs> It's just – it's unlike anything. I've, it's just that's where the power comes from. There's I mean, not, it's, you're not wrong. That's, yes. that's what everybody says. <laughs> Scholars have argued that's where the power comes from. But him and obviously his story to be raised in a janitor's closet and the club that ultimately – you know, not a janitor's closet, but to spend nights yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. And ultimately, that's the club where he trains and becomes a champion. He does. The last one, and it's a little superficial, but I'm throwing it at you anyways, Tommy Paul. 
I just think Tommy Paul is so good looking that it's like if he was number one in the world, men, women, you name it, everyone would be like, who is this guy? I need to learn more. So that's enough. That's the only other American that I saw at the U.S. Open play. I saw his match against Casper Ruud. The five setter. Yeah. Really good match. It was it was epic. And Tommy Paul, he's got that like, at least to me, he's kind of got that like you attitude type of thing where it's he's just he doesn't care but he cares enough to like try and it's just it's just it's this cool like cool guy mentality but at the same time he he will dog you and it's you know he's got that you know the racket twirling at the baseline (laughs) just like dude you can't even be bothered to be like showing any sign of effort but no he's he's sweet I, I I like him a lot. He was he's definitely one of those one of the players that I didn't know a lot about. I had heard his name, you know. I think he's a he's a pretty good doubles player, if I'm not mistaken. Very talented doubles player, and he was a former Junior Slam champion. Him, Fritz Opelka, all won Junior Slam titles. In you know what's really funny? They all won them in 2015, which happened to be the year we lived together in the house. Oh, and yeah. You want to know why I was never found? It's because I was watching them. It's cause I was, <laughs> that's what I was doing the whole time in the cave. You were and just ahead of your time, dude. Ask Alex Davis how many times he walked in, not on me watching, but on me watching Challenge Tennis. <laughs> the answer is I mean, significant. I, I haven't talked with him in a while, so I might have to. I might just have to take your word for it. <laughs> you know what? Ask Siebert. I don't know if you text him from time to time. but um, no, Not anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but... Point is, yeah, I like I would throw I would throw Tommy in the mix for all the reasons you said. There is a, just a nonchalance about him, and similar to Tiafo, I think he's a generational athlete. Like I think he makes life. You talk about the ease with which he does everything. He's just as smooth as you're gonna get. Like just that first step. It's just like I feel like he could do it. Soccer receiver. You know, again, all the you want to put him at third base. I think he'll find a way to figure it out. Like he's just one of those athletes. He definitely looks the part uh, of an athlete, and I mean, maybe the doubles will help him. You know, everyone has their two cents on whether people should be playing doubles and singles. You know, it's whatever. I'm not gonna. When was the last time you watched a doubles match? Non Lever Cup. Well, I I mean, I went to the U.S. when I was at the U.S. Open. I watched some. I watched some doubles. Which is it really good in person? It's it it is. I mean, it's good on TV. It's just you don't get those uh, those like twenty shot rallies, which I love because I was always like a baseline guy, and I kind of <laughs> hate playing up at the net. But what you get in doubles is those crazy like forehand angle, you know, volleys where people are just getting to them, and you're just like, I don't even know how you have quick enough reactions to get to that ball. It's laughable. It really is. And no, I. Doubles, when you're in person, first of all, when you're at an event, okay, another random tangent here. Being at the U.S. Open, and I apologize if I'm taking Sick. too much of your time. Yeah, unbelievable, I'm sure. <laughs> when you watch these players in person, my first reaction for the first hour always is, how does anyone lose? Like, I just watch, I'm like, you're so good, and you're so good, and I, I just know. don't get how you lose. Like, how does this work? I I definitely, yeah, I mean, this, so the U.S. Open was my first live tennis match that I went to, and it was it was sick. It was honestly so cool. One, of, I'm probably going to go back every year now. Okay. I got to drag you to a Michigan tennis match at some point this year. We play USC in February. College tennis is unlike anything else. Is it in Ann Arbor? In Ann Arbor. 
Well, that's much easier for me to get it, to. Yeah, you know, and Michigan this year is a top five team in the country. This is our best. This is the I best heard. Michigan men's tennis team of our lifetime. And, I heard. Uh, well, they got a new. They, that facility is, from yeah, what they, I've heard, is very nice. Yeah, they renovate. It's it's very nice. And so, no, it's uh, again. I'm going to drag you to a match this year for sure. Um, so you mentioned Corda. Have you watched any Brooksby? I would love to hear. Brooksby is all the homeschooled kids in our area. Just so you know, he like same person. It's just like Max Fliegner, but better. Then I hate. Then I don't like him. (laughs) 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 And it's that simple. I I I haven't watched a ton of Brooksby. I did watch a decent amount of Nakashima, though. Yeah. So where are you? He's pretty sweet. Yeah, he's got some sweat, and he's he like makes it look easy. It's sneaky easy. He hits. He's got a big old serve. So another fun fact for you, because stat, he's 23 and 10 since the start of the French Open into the top 50, new career high ranking for him. He's holding serve 88.6% of the time, which That's is wild. like, yeah, the like <laughs> it, it's wild. It's like, it's, again, there's two players over 90% this year. It's, it's uh, Kyrgios and Opelka. That's it. Like, and then Nakashima is like knocking on the door of that category of server. And like, he's like, he's kind of a meatball from a bodybuild perspective. Yeah, like, he, no, he's he, huge. Yeah, he is big, like sneaky strong. Yeah, I didn't. I honestly didn't know that he was like an. I didn't know he was an American. And then I found out, and I was like, "Dude, this guy's sweet." San Diego born, went to UVA for a year. Good, really nice kid. Friend of the friend of the program. I saw he was a guest like a I don't know a couple months ago or something. Yeah, we had him on a month ago. He just won his first title in San Diego. I did shoot him the text. I this was the most embarrassing moment. We had Ben Shelton on the show, and I consider Ben a friend at this point because we chat and. One of my, I was hitting here in LA and someone was talking about how they wanted to change rackets. And I go, Oh, a buddy of mine just changed rackets. And they go, Oh, who? And I go, Oh, you know, Ben Shelton. And I just felt like, I felt like such a loser. I was like, You're an idiot, Alex. Like, that was a, I was like, That was a low point for you. Go to bed. I mean, um, he's a buddy, you know, like, with well, a humble brag. Humble brag, exactly. Uh, that's what I, a lot of those nowadays. Um, all right. With all that said, home stretch here of questions, we can rapid fire a little bit. Any other American? on your radar are you done with like the isner generation oh so done (laughs) so so done i mean at this point it's like it's like uh you remember the scene in happy gilmore where he's like trying to make like a hundred bucks by hitting the longest drive like that's how i feel about isner with his serve (laughs) and it's just like all right how many times can you like not get broken yeah i i think what we should do is make a gift section of the tennis hall of fame i might have pitched this to you already and instead of like inducting full people you just induct shots so it's like i don't know if del potro played enough for him to be a full-time hall of famer but Fair. his forehand his a gif of him hitting forehands should be in the hall of fame like the i 100 percent agree yeah in modern technology be the first hall of fame in sports to have a gif wing um, I mean, I would love that. That would be yeah, hilarious. That's what I'm saying. It would be so funny. Just if nothing else, do it for yeah. the humor. Um, with that said, Laver Cup this past weekend. I know it was Roger Federer's final event. Did you watch it at all? I The problem was like a lot when there's tournaments going on in Europe, I just don't have – like the timing doesn't work out. So like I'm at work and I can't just mm. <laughs> throw, on, throw yeah. on a tennis match on my computer screen and then immediately get fired. But yeah. – I, I wanted to watch like really badly and my friends were texting me during the match, you know, and it was emotional and blah, blah. I watched all the highlights afterwards. Mm-hmm. It sucks for him. Uh, and I know this wasn't the question, but it sucks mm-hmm. that like we didn't have the, you know, uh, red carpet that we did for Serena 
um, for Roger because God does he deserve it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, the thing was for Roger, he kind. I mean, he it, it was just different because it wasn't a slam, right? And so right. it was a private event. That said, the, certainly Labor Cup brought out all the stops. This brings up an interesting tangent. How do you watch tennis? Do you have a tennis channel account? Like, what do you do to keep up on things? YouTube? No, I mean, I don't have a tennis channel account. I mean, I would, I, I check in to see kind of what happened in the, in the, in the matches. I don't, like I said, I don't watch a ton of the, a ton of the like basic, not basic, but not major tournaments. So the majors I watch pretty religiously, even the Aussie, I'll, I'll be up at like two, three in the morning watching just cause it brings me back to being in college and not having any responsibilities <laughs> and being okay staying up till, you know, six in the morning. But let me just say, that's why I do this. Because <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get over it. Uh, right. A hundred percent. No, I, that's interesting. So first of all, check your texts after this. You'll have a TC account. I promise. That's the last <laughs> thing for you. Uh, that's my way of saying thank you. Um, yeah, because media rights is a big thing in tennis. And so would you say part of the reason you, I mean, again, it's, it sucks because a, in the tennis world, Monday only matters till Tuesday, Tuesday only matters till Wednesday, Wednesday only matters till Thursday. That's why we went with the daily show because it's like, unless you're taking daily updates, you're lost by the time you're, you're like, what quarterfinals, where are we? Um, is that, you know, again, the difficulty to watch matches in full? I mean, you do have a job. That's true. But is, is that part of the reason you would say you don't watch this? A hundred percent. And that I mean, that's why people don't care about the French Open. I, I was so blown away at how little they televised the French. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't understand why I wasn't able to watch it when I would get back home at like 3 p.m. And it's like the third round of the French Open, a decent match. I can't watch it. I, I couldn't believe it. You know, the Aussie and U.S. Open are they're pretty easy because they got the ESPN rights. And, you know, they might be on ESPN 2 or ESPN 3 or whatever, but I have accounts for that. But the, the lack of access is not helping with tennis's popularity. And I'm not saying that everybody would still tune in on Tennis Channel or whatever, but I would be much more inclined to watch them if I was able to if I had access to those, to, to those channels where those matches are going on, like, I don't want to watch John McEnroe and Pete Sampras playing in like a empty gym with microphones on, you know, like, I don't want to watch that. No, I, I completely get that. I will say, and obviously a little biased here as part of the tennis channel podcast network, TC plus the moment you get access to it, you're like, oh, this is where everything has been. You're like, right. why? Yeah, you're just like, why didn't someone tell me that this is the service that I need? And to your point, I do think that it's a problem that only the majors are on ESPN nowadays, like other than the French. I think if it was always nice to know. Do you remember like when the Yale event in New Haven or like, you know, those little um, North American summer events, the U.S. Open series, where it's like a Thursday and they're showing on ESPN2 Atlanta and Newport. Like, I feel like we had those days when we were 15 and 16. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense why they can't be broadcasting it from, you know, 11 a.m. till four. There's not like there's nothing. There's not like there's any other sports going on right now or at that time. That's just Stephen A. Smith yelling at a pencil about how <laughs> Lamar Jackson needs a new contract. So like, why not? I don't know why you can't just have that option for people to watch at least on ESPN three. 
No, I, I completely agree with you. And I do think for uh, for tennis moving forward, again, rights are a major issue. And certainly uh, you look at some of the smaller events, why rights are such an issue is because of the money. It's because like for an ATP 250 or for an ATP 500, Masters 1000, the TV contract's a big portion of the money they're making in any given uh, event. And so it's just, it's really important for them to not screw around. You can't give away those rights on YouTube. Yeah. Otherwise those, you know, those, and it's it's just the stupidest thing though. No, I mean, it, listen, the, it, the, the revenue is what drives all the decision-making regardless of the sport. So I totally get it. It's just, I, I, I guess I'm shocked that, some of the more major outlets aren't more open and more or more receptive to having tennis on their respective channels. Like I, I maybe they're charging too much or maybe the media rights are too expensive. I, I, I guess, but you know, even F1 is now available on yeah. ESPN. So like you said, maybe that, maybe the, uh, the documentary will kind of blow up tennis for, for, for everybody else. But I've- I freaking hope so. It would be nice. Great for this show. Tell you what, good for the brand. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't hate that there. Um, check your messages. It's now in there. You should have what you need. Um, Got it. All right. With that said, again, very grateful for your time. Let's rapid fire down the home stretch. Got it. Best, best of three versus best of five sets because we talk about that TV format. Some, Perhaps a reason some networks are like, now nah, we're good. We don't want to show a 12-hour match or you know even a five-hour match. We want two hours and less and out in our sporting events. And there's this perception that the attention span of viewers is now minuscule and our generation gets blamed for that, to which I always say that's bullshit. Like, show me something, show me something real and not an anecdote, just saying right. that because otherwise I don't believe that. That said... As a tennis fan, would you be outraged if the men switched to best of three? Absolutely. Best of five is absolutely electric. It's yeah. it, it. You get the craziest matches you could possibly imagine. You get guys that come back from down two sets, none, and double break or down two breaks, and they come back and win three matches. I mean, Djokovic done it like a million times. And so that that's a non-starter for you. You're like, no, no, no absolutely not. That's that's a that's a ludicrous statement. I mean, these guys are in top physical form. You can play five setters. What about no ad scoring? Because the sudden death, and again, this involves me. I'm going to have to take you to the college tennis match. Sudden death is extraordinarily compelling, regardless of the sport. And tennis so doesn't have a lot of that. Do they? Do they? Does the opposing team get to pick which side they return on? Yeah. So returner chooses side. I never really considered it. I've definitely, <laughs> I've definitely been in matches playing where I'm just like, dude, this. Why? Why can't we just do this once? Just yeah. like, I don't want to play another ad. This is like the seventh one. Yeah. But at the same time, you get into that like. I forgot what women's match I was watching during the U.S. Open where I went to like 12 ads. It was it was a late one. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, think there's like the semifinals or I something say, like that. Either Sabal- I think it was Sabalenka, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was Sabalenka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, each one, it's just like, oh, is it going to happen now? <laughs> yeah. You know, so I kind of, I like, I, I like it, but <sighs> I mean, if you're trying to speed up, if, if, the, if the problem is speed of the match, then I get it, but I don't know, man. Don't you don't need to mess with you don't need to mess with it if it's not broken. Can I give you one more? That's actually a funky one. One serve. Why do you get a second serve? Why are we allowing you to make a mistake? Well, then, because then you don't get the John Isner 145 mile per hour bomb. God, God willing. 
Like, I'm, I'm fine if I never see another 145-mile-per-hour 7-6-7-6 match out of John Isner. I'll but live. I, I think that's what separates the casual tennis yeah. player versus those professionals. Because even when I go play with, with my friends, you know, I watch them double fault, like, constantly. And it's just like you're, you're pissing away points versus these guys where you – and that's something that I – really started to pick up on is how good they are at not double faulting, especially when at critical times, you know, when you're down 30, 40 and it's in, you know, the fifth set, it's been a tight match the whole time. Like my sphincter tightens up. <laughs> yeah, it does. These guys, like they don't, they'll still hit their 110 mile per hour kick serve. Like it's nobody's business. And like that, that is, it, it's so it, that's what separates the, the the casual tennis player from these world class top one hundred players. It's it's very true. That's and yeah, the nerves of that second serve when you know it's coming. And I mean, Sinner probably in his uh, in that quarterfinal match double faulted too many times against Alcaraz. Just the serve happened with Nadal against Siavo too. Hundred percent. And it's just like I do. You're right. As a fan, there is the anticipation of like a 30, 40 second serve where you're like, if I'm feeling this, what the hell is he feeling? That's what and, like I can't. Yeah. I can't. Good argument. Double, good argument. I've double faulted matches away. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> yeah. Very good argument. I can't disagree with you. Um. Team tennis. Do you like it? Like, again, you didn't get to watch Labor Cup. Yeah. So, you know what? We're going to put that. Th- I, that's to be determined. I will. We'll, yeah. Next I, time we bring you on. I just haven't watched it enough, but I like the idea of it. Yeah. Do Federer and Serena retiring mean you'll watch less tennis moving forward? No. No. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, it's a new age. It's, it, it's fine with people when people are retiring. I mean, obviously, they're compelling stories and they've been, you know, top of their class athletes for a long time now, but maybe for casual fans, they probably won't watch as much. I, which I totally get, but we still got Nadal and Djokovic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you're going to talk about Andy Murray in this, in this category, I guess we can throw him in there, even though I wanted to bring this up to you. Okay. Why is he included in this big four conversation? Like so- I, I sent my friends the meme, you know, that meme with the, with the three dragon heads where yeah. like two of them look real sinister. And then there's one that looks like super goofy. Yeah. So I, and I made it, it was no, it was Novak Rafa and Roger as the three demonous ones. And then the stupid looking one is Andy <laughs> Murray. And that's like the big four. Like yeah. he, he has, a, he has as many majors as Wawrinka. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Three. Why, why aren't, why isn't he thrown into that category? Just cause he went to the semifinals a bunch of times and lost every single time. Yes. It, so here's the argument is that from 2012 to 2016, which was when this was all getting started, it was a big four. After 2016, Djokovic pulls away. And obviously Nadal, Federer were already on that level, but Djokovic separated himself and Nadal, Federer continued to separate themselves. I think you talk about two different eras. I think it's the big four era is 2012, you could say 2007 when Djokovic and Murray were kind of both rising simultaneously through 2016, which is the year Andy Murray finishes world number one. And that's the big thing, is that in 20 years, there were three guys who finished number one and Andy Murray. It's that in the event Roger Federer wanted more than anything else, the 2012 U.S. Open gold medal match, uh, 20 U.S. Open Olympic gold medal match, 2016 Olympics, which Djokovic, the only blemish on his resume, he wanted it more than anyone else. Who won those two Olympic gold singles medals? It was Andy Murray, who 
not only beats Federer, but beats Federer like three weeks after crying in the final of that 2012 Wimbledon, losing to Federer. I'm getting closer. Like, I cried when Murray loses that match. And for him three weeks later to win that gold medal, you look at some of the Masters 1000 stuff. Like, again, now Djokovic and Nadal have separated. But for a while there, Murray was really close. And I think all of us have eyes. It was just like... It was those four guys, and you're right. It was more often the other three than Andy, but it was those four guys for about six years where you're like, all right, it's the semifinals. Who's playing who? Yeah, I mean, that's – which I get. And it's just – it's tough for me to, like, put him in that same discussion with those other three guys because, I mean, they're just light years ahead of him in terms of talent and championships and every other major category. Mm -hmm. Where does – if I asked you – in their primes, who wins the 40-yard dash of those four? Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Andy. <laughs> tough questions here at the end. Really tough. Not Federer. He's not. Yeah. I, he, was <laughs> never, he, he was never like a speedster. Rafa I might feel, kill someone on the pathway. Like He might be swinging so violently, it's like elbow, elbow, and I it's, win. The, the discussion becomes between Rafa and Jokefish because Andy's just like a little bit too big to like yeah. – I mean, he's not, it's not Calvin Johnson running yeah. the 40 type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'd probably say – I'd probably have to go with Djokovic. See, I think I go Rafa. I just the violence. It's just like I, there's a little more violence which you need in that 40 yard dash. So I agree, and it's a short. It's short burst as yeah, opposed to distance. 100. I take Djokovic. I think. I think yeah. that's where I. Or maybe Murray, because now you get to play his power into. Yeah, you got that. You got that stride. <laughs> who does best? Who? Let me ask it the other way. Who does worse on the ACT? Between them four. Yeah, because Federer does the best. He speaks 12 languages. The guy's getting in the 30s. Murray, Honestly, Murray I would say tutored. Murray. No, see, I think Murray's mom hires the tutors. And so that's where it's like he's going to he's gonna be okay. Fine. But the second that he runs into a roadblock, he <laughs> rips the exam in half and screams at his pencil. And, he gets to and, one of those like science charts and he's like, no, like yeah. this is unacceptable. Well, it's not just like, no, it's I'm going to be the angriest person that has <laughs> ever existed on planet Earth because I don't like this question. <laughs> Yeah. It's good. Who would make the best coach? We got to see them all coach at Labor Cup. Maybe the highlight of it all. I I'd probably say Fetter. He seems the most patient with like people that like aren't as good as he is. Exactly. That's the flaw against Rafa is that it's like he would be like, No, give me the racket. This is how yeah, you Yeah, exactly. Do it. Yeah. Like, Rafa, this isn't your training session. Right. It's my exactly. training session. Exactly. I think Djokovic would probably be the exact same way. Yeah, they're just too comp- I mean, it's just in them. Uh, not that is right. not a killer, because he was yeah. a killer, but Yeah, absolutely. Last two for you. Federer, in the greatest of all time discussion still? For sure. He I mean he was he started this whole era of yeah. people getting into tennis. He was a lot of people will still say that he's the GOAT. I yeah. I and I can't, you know, there's obviously the argument of like, yeah, but he doesn't have the most championships, which I get, but I mean his his period of dominance is just insane and all the stats are like came out over the last week after he announced his retirement just like re-looking at them you forget how ridiculous it was for a stretch of i don't know like seven years probably it's like 2003 to like 2010 
from 05 to 08, it's just unfair what Federer was able to do. He made the, like all four major finals, and he won three out of the four majors in three consecutive. Uh, yeah, in three consecutive seasons, like 05. It's... Or no, no, sorry, he won three out of the four in three out of four seasons. 04, 06, 07. He wins three major titles, and like again, two other finals to go along with it. It's just like that. That nothing will ever come close to. To, nobody will ever be able to replicate that, in my opinion. It's just, it's just insane. It's like something crazy. It's like, yeah, like twelve straight semi, or it's like eighteen straight semifinals. I forget what it is, but it's laughable. It's just there was like, like one really year where he went like fifty nine and two or something like that, and you're just like, dude, what? <laughs> no, it's just like, and then again, it's funny because you look at some of the Djokovic win streaks, and like Djokovic has won eighty percent of his matches at every major. Like, not just, like, in general, yeah. puffing up at the 250s. It's like, no, 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 no. He's won 80% of his matches at all the majors. And then you're like, but Rafa's, Rafa, there's this video of him. You got to go look it up. like eleven Wimbledon. They're asking him to go through his clay court record. They're like, you're a, a billion and six on in your career in clay courts. Can you name the losses? And he's like, 2012, didn't lose. 2013, didn't lose. Like, 2014, one loss, Rome. You know, 2012. And it's just like, he can actually go through and ha- his head and be like, well, I lost once that season. You know, like, twice this season and none of the times. It's just like, they're all, all of their cases are laughable. Yeah. Joe, I mean, Djokovic was definitely on that trajectory, but, you know, COVID came in and now all of a sudden he's like persona non grata. <laughs> yeah, it's just a joke. Dare yeah. I say. Pun intended. Um, It's, yeah, it's frustrating. So, where are you who's your who's your guy right now? you still team nadal yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. he shows he flashed the hat for those of you oh yeah I'm, i mean he's the king he's the king of clay man like yeah. there's i i i say this about nadal i think the only more impressive uh run than nadal on clay is the undertaker at wrestlemania uh- <laughs> <laughs> like there's there's just that's the two greatest Phelps, Phelps 08 Olympics in one sitting. Yes, but he didn't do it again, you know, which uh, Olympics is obviously very different, but regardless, like he didn't go and win eight again at, you know, the next time. No, you're right. It's just sport, but it's just, there's, there's nothing like it. You, you, I've never seen people be more defeated than when they have to walk onto the clay court and the opposition is Rafa Nadal. It's just like, you might as well just walk back. The other thing is just like, you know, this script, it's like forehand cross, forehand cross, forehand cross, forehand line. Or it's it's like, you thought you could hit it to his backhand. He's taking his backhand down the line, right back to your backhand. And we're just doing this again until you blink. It's the same thing every year, and it it just never fails. It's it crazy. never fails. <laughs> it's just like – I also think, though, like Michael Jordan, his final major needs to be bald Rafa and go shaved head and just There's, be like, this is my last stand. It's so sad watching him just like the hair fade away. I'm just like, damn, man, I feel your pain. <sighs> oh, dude, I empathize because I'm like, every time you play a match, you're sacrificing some boys up top. It's like oh, you 100%. Lost, yeah, you've lost at least 20 boys to the cause, and you don't well, have 20 to lose. Yeah. Luckily, he's got a wife and 23 majors, so yeah. like he's a little bit more accomplished than us, but you know, whatever. I think he'll be okay. Yeah, he'll yeah. be okay, but no, Rafa, one of a kind. All right, final question for you, Ben Belzer, and again, immensely grateful for your time. Anytime. Your tennis comparison for me as a freshman roommate. This is your moment. The floor is yours. Vent. I feel like there might be some things still on the chest. I, okay, I always thought that you kind of looked 
like Milos Raonic. I know. I've told people that it makes me so angry. You. Know I don't know this. why. I don't know why, no. but I've always thought that he kind of looked like Milos Raonic. And I really liked Milos Raonic. Like yeah. I thought he was going to be sick. Yeah. Obviously, you know, he flamed out or whatever. I'm trying to think in terms of game. Or just as a human. Yeah, who's a little... I mean, how would you describe the game qualities? And maybe I can name your player. Well... I know. Well, your game, you got, you kind of have like a big man's game where you got a night, you got like a pretty, it's not like a, a, a flat, hard serve. You got like a nice big kick on it, but it's got power. So it's not like you don't play like a Isner type, but you play like big serve with a push. Yeah. Big no, serving push. No, see, that's, yeah. Like you yeah. got, I, that was the, the thing that always like resonated with me whenever we would play against each other. I'd be yeah. like, God damn, there's some weight behind these shots. Like <laughs> I like can't like, they don't, they don't like look like they're going to be coming fast, but every time I hit them back, I'm just like, damn it, man. There's just like some power behind this boy. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Now I'm lean, mean TV skinny machine. Um, <laughs> no, that's, that's kind of you to say, let me ask you this though. Again, as a roommate, simply as a roommate qualities, as in living together as a partner to be in a room for nine months. Emil Roussevori, how far down the list are we going? No, we're not going to go that far down the list. <laughs> Honestly, I was th- – I because you texted me a couple of these questions, yeah. and I was, like, thinking about it because this is obviously the hardest one. Yeah. I would probably say Medvedev because you kind of had – you did your thing, and you didn't give a f- <laughs> about whether people <laughs> liked it that much or not, and you would just run with it, and it was never – like, it never bothered me personally, but – you would always just kind of be not in your own island, but just like doing your own kind of thing. If like people didn't really mess with it, you know, whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. No, my two things were always a looking back on it. I mean, I was probably up till four a.m. always, and I like the amount of times I must have walked in when you were asleep, and you're like, God, like are we doing I never this again? like I, dude. Honestly, at that time, like I was so mad just being on North Campus. Like I didn't even like everything else didn't even matter to me because by the time I walked into my room, just like oh thank God, (laughs) (laughs) the other one that I I would be I mean it's just an incident I'll never forget. It was either a game day or like you know in the winter whatever we had come back from something. You were passed out on the futon. I was asleep on my bed. And my laptop, because I would often fall asleep watching whatever on my laptop. West Wing. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> see, this is what I'm saying. It fell right on you. Like, it fell. It freaking popped you in the rib. And I was like, oh, no. Did I wake up? Yeah, you are like, God. And I was like, no. I was like, I'm so sorry. That's why. And again, you're right. It was North Campus. It was just like, we honestly got to see each other 12 minutes a day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we both of us were on the same page where it's just like, we need to leave here as quickly <laughs> as possible and come back as late as possible. Exactly. It was just just only, only when blue, but we got to make it back for blue apple clothes. Yeah, you have bl- to make it back. Get a slice. Maybe get a slice. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know what? NCRB underrated because it was always empty. Yeah. You love that NCRB. Yeah. I always, I always walked out. I'm just like, dude, I feel like I'm in jail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, but with all that said, I mean, floor is yours. Any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? 
No, not really. I'm happy to have come on, dude. I think you're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of people are going to tune into the uh, to this pod to hear what stupid that <laughs> I had to say. So, <laughs> no. I mean, I hopefully didn't disappoint. You did not. You were everything I hoped for and more. Let me ask you this. And I know I started to get into it before. I guess this will be the actual final question. Had I told you, not Maccabi time, but had I told you sophomore year, we'll say, because by sophomore year, you kind of knew with the club tennis stuff. You're like, all right, this guy really does yeah, love yeah. tennis. If I would have told you this is what I was doing a decade later, what would your response have been? I would have been like, there's just no chance, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like absolutely no chance because like, I didn't. What happens with a lot of people, especially in like high school sports with sports that they're like really interested in is they like you, you finally hit your wall of whatever competitive level you're going to make it to. And then after that, it's obviously sad and blah, blah, blah. And you can't play anymore. It happens in college athletics all the time. But I thought that that was like, what was going to happen after club tennis? It's just like, you've hit your peak. Like, I'm not saying that you weren't capable of it, it. but like you weren't, you weren't going to, you know, major tournaments, going to pro blah, blah, blah. So at some point, like the dream dies, you know, and then you just, but again, similar to Medvedev, you just said, it. <laughs> I'm going to keep this thing. I'm going to keep the train choo choo. And then you, I mean, it's, it's sick. Like we, I told you it's, it's a, not, I'm not going to say a small market just because, you know, people love tennis. I think it's just, it, there aren't a lot of people that are involved in talking about tennis on a daily basis. And it's, it's sick that you're doing it. And you know, obviously you got more deep cut knowledge than most people like care about, but if anybody needs to talk tennis, they're going to be hitting you up. So uh, I used to say at the bar, when I would go to bars, I love two things, politics and tennis. Now you want to, f- <laughs> uh, and, uh, surprisingly, it didn't always work. Uh, yeah, everybody turns around immediately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I appreciate you saying that I have told the people I work with that someday if tennis, if we ever have a robust enough budget i will bring you in as a producer because <laughs> i promise you this it, unleashing you full-time would be dangerous it would be yeah very, very i don't funny. think you i think you no, it's one of my the brand <laughs> no it's, it's on uh, it's on my it's on my list of things to do but i appreciate obviously all the support you have given over the years tolerance of my nonsense i wouldn't be the person i was if i didn't enjoy what I did freshman year with you and be like, all right, I kind of got to figure out what I'm doing on my own. My big regret, I should have gotten into Big Ten Network with Wombat. I should have just been like, yo, get me in on this. Every time I pass Barrington, Illinois, because we got to drive to Wisconsin a bunch, I'm like, is Darch there? I'm like, there? I'm like am I going to see him? Um, nah. Yeah, but that's my regret. I should have done that or hopped on Andover Radio, channel 107.2. Yeah, no, you didn't need to be on the Biff. Yeah, the Biff, that's what it was. Um, no, I mean, big, big time network was fun. It would have just helped you yeah. right now with the production and stuff. That's because, yeah, like now I'm sure you had to like learn all that on the yeah. fly, which late, is not easy. Late bloomer from a production standpoint, no doubt. Yeah, about you got to do it at some point. Yeah, exactly. But Ben Belzer, it is, you know, seat is always open for you on this podcast. Immensely grateful you took the time. Be safe Brother. be healthy. Appreciate you, man. It was fun talking with you. Yeah, let's do this again sometime soon. You got it. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with, again, my freshman year roommate, dear friend Ben Belzer. Appreciate him taking the time to chat with us. I said it'd probably be 30, 40 minutes. We end up going an hour and a half. That's, again, a testament to how interesting, how intelligent, how humorous Ben can be. And 
sincerely hope we're able to have him on the podcast more moving forward. Hopefully I can entice him to watch even more tennis because once he knows even more about the players that he's talking about, I'm telling you, you're just not going to find a wittier human in the world. I pride myself on my wit and I still sit in awe of how quickly Ben's brain moves. So a massive thank you to Ben for taking the time to chat, for letting me pick his brain and you know run a little nostalgia at him as well. I feel like that whole podcast could be construed as a humble brag on my part and I really hope that's not the case because you know again I thoroughly enjoyed the chance to get to catch up and chat with my freshman year roommate from college of course this is not the only conversation we're having right now here at Crack Rackets picks every day on the GSP interviews with top 100 players over on the Cracked Interviews podcast all that content available on our website crackrackets.com a shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westa for the of an editing job he does day in day out making all of our content possible a shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is CR15. With that said, for the fantastic Ben Belzer, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>